worship team and James did such a wonderful job. I hesitate to mess it up, but I am going to persevere and give you my best shot. Let's open the Word of God, please, to Acts chapter 21. Yeah, Acts chapter 21. So Ryan and Trevor, guess what? Uh, We've got 28 chapters total in this book. It's one of the longer books in the New Testament. And I thought as we came to chapter 21, it might be a good time to um, catch our breath, look back a little bit, look forward, and kind of get our our uh, perspective as we persevere and get ready for the final push to work our way through the rest of the book. And so that's what we'll try to do today. But uh, let's pray for our teachability to God's Word and for our troops or peace officers and firefighters. It's always nice to see some folks from Wisconsin in the area. I uh, appreciate Matt's uh, parents being here today. I feel like you guys are kind of uh, associate members here. You have a long drive to church, though, don't you? But it's always nice to have you guys here. Uh, David Stribling, if you would, uh, lead us in opening prayer, wouldn't you? I'm kind of biased, but I think we've got some incredible people at TBF. And uh, David is right up there. Just a Texas A&M trained engineer, just a wonderful engineer, and just really a bright guy, loves the Lord. and uh known you for a long time now, you know. We're both getting older, so it's, uh, I appreciate you, man. Uh, yeah. <laughs> That's right. I hope not. Um, I'm I'm got an honest title for my thing today. Uh, you know, I'm not going to over over hype it, but these are just to ramp up your capacity for abstract thinking. Uh, these are slightly humorous statements about preachers and preaching. That's all I'm going to claim for it. Okay, Michelle, that's all it is. Whoop, wrong one. Sorry, that was nice. If anything can go wrong, it will go wrong. There we go. Sometimes preachers forget the eternal gospel does not require everlasting sermons. Uh, the new preacher in town was so spiritual, his car had stained glass windows. And finally, hold your applause. Uh, most preachers are truly men of prayer. You can tell by the way they drive. Yeah, um, Come to chapter 21 today, and in verses 1 through 8, we're seeing the last phases of the third missionary journey. Uh, we were in Miletus with the Ephesian elders last week, and we're headed to Caesarea, the capital of the region where Jerusalem's located, and Paul's on his way to Jerusalem at the end of his third missionary trip. Uh, let's, uh, let's do this before we look at that. Now we're talking about the book of Acts. book of Acts is in the New Testament, and Ryan... You won't believe this, but there are 66 different books in your Bible. 66, and that's a lot. But all those 66 books break down into just two parts. First part of the Bible is called the Old Testament. Second part of the Bible is called the New Testament. All of the Old Testament books, Genesis through Malachi, were written before the coming of Jesus. They make one major statement of fact. All human beings are sinners and die. Do I hear an amen on that? And one major promise, the Savior is coming. The New Testament books were written in the generation that saw the life of Christ. One major premise, one major promise. The major premise of the New Testament, your New Testament, is that Jesus of Nazareth is, in fact, the one that was promised. He's the Savior. And he's coming back. 
Because he came the first time as a lamb, and he'll come back as a lion. So the, the book of Acts is in the New Testament, that side of the cross, and that's important to remember. You break down the New Testament into three parts. You've got the Gospels and Acts that give you the history of the New Testament era. The epistles, which are fancy names for letters. Trevor, when I first went to seminary, I was so dumb, I thought the epistles were the wives of the apostles. But that's not right. Epistle is just a fancy word for letter. And so when Paul writes a letter to the Romans, we call it the book of Romans, because it tells the Romans and us what the deal is about Christianity. So you got the Gospels and Acts, you got the epistles, and then you got the prophetic climax. Okay? Now, I'm pretty sure we would all know that the Gospels and Acts are Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts, right? And the epistles are Romans through Jude. But what's the prophetic climax? What do you think? Book of Revelation. So the book of Acts is telling us what happened after the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Christ for the next 30 years or so. It picks up the story where the Gospels left off. And so when you look at your table of contents, never be afraid to check out your table of contents if you need to find something in church or anyplace else. We're looking at the fifth book of the New Testament. It's a book that finishes uh, or, or continues the story that the gospel started. And now we're three-quarters of the way, whatever it is, roughly through the book of Acts, and we read this in verses 1 through 8 of chapter 21. When we, that means Luke and Paul and a small delegation of Christian ministers, when we had parted from them, how are we going to find out who them is? Maybe get a commentary? Anybody got a commentary? Now I would say look at the verses before, right? Most Bible Questions are answered in the verse before, the verse after. And what did we see last week, Carol? We saw the uh, Ephesian elders come down about 30 miles south of where they lived and interact with Paul, and he gave them some encouragement and some direction. So Luke's saying, after we had left the Ephesian elders in Miletus, we set sail, and we ran a straight course to Kos, and the next day to Rhodes, and from there to Patara, and having found a ship crossing over to Phoenicia, just north of Jerusalem, we went aboard and set sail. And they had to pay their ticket, too. They had to have their picket and all that good stuff. Uh, when we came inside of Cyprus, leaving it on the left, on the port side, we kept sailing to Syria. Syria is the larger region. Phoenicia is a smaller region within Syria. And landed at Tyre, a city in that region. For the, there the ship was to unload its cargo. So, Paul and the guys are riding on a cargo ship that's got a, a, a little bit of room for passengers, right? You've got to maximize your profits. That's just good business sense. After looking up the disciples who were entire, we should have Luke involved. Luke, Luke and Paul and the small delegation of Christian ministers. Luke's writing this under inspiration, so he includes himself. Not after they, but after we stayed there entire for seven days. Must have took those guys a long time to unload the cargo, right? Uh, something happened. You ever had a delay at the airport? That never happens, right? So something like that must have happened. Uh, stayed there seven days, and they, the disciples, at least some of the disciples entire, kept telling Paul through the Spirit not to set foot in Jerusalem. Don't go anywhere near there. I know that's the plan, but you, you might get hurt. It's dangerous. Uh, when our days there were ended, we left and started on our journey. Uh, while they all, with wives and children, the Christians entire, escorted us 
until we were out of the city. They're figuring, we're never going to see this guy again. He's going to get beaten up and probably killed in Jerusalem, so let's walk him to the boat. And after kneeling down on the beach and praying, we said farewell to one another. Then we went on board the ship, and they returned home again. When we had finished the voyage from Tyre, we arrived at Ptolemais, and after greeting the brethren, we stayed with them for a day. And on the next day, we left and came to Caesarea. And that's a bunch of ancient history, unless you put it on a map. And here's a map. And, of course, most of our Bible maps just focus on that area, right? Jerusalem, Judea, Galilee, Sea of Galilee, etc. But Paul and the book of Acts are taking the gospel outside of Haaretz, the land, into the whole world. And we're actually in this area of the world. Let's, let's expand that map a little bit. And we're just being told that after they interact with the uh, elders in Miletus, they stopped at Kos, and they went to Rhodes. There are people in this room who have been to Rhodes, to real place. And all these places are real places. Patara, and then they went around. Cyprus didn't stop there. And where'd they go? Went to Tyre, stayed there a week, down to Ptolemaeus, and then Caesarea. So real, pay, real places, real people, real events. And that's really important for us to remember. Okay? Now, um, let's say this about the book of Acts as we're kind of putting the whole book in perspective and thinking, you know, kind of big picture here for a few minutes because we're kind of getting to the very last section of the book now as we get to chapter 21 and following. Uh, as I say somewhere in the notes, somewhere I think, uh, the book of Acts is one, one big book. It emphasizes one gospel. I mean, the gospel, whether it's Peter preaching it, or Paul preaching it, or John, or the body of the apostles, or Philip the evangelist, uh, is all about Jesus Christ, his person, his work. All of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We break our own standards at our worst, much less God's standards. And the Bible says that the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So we have a problem. Uh, we are separated from God because of our sins and our failures and our selfishness and our laziness. And God can't just ignore that as a holy God. But where sin did abound, grace did much more abound. And God demonstrated his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So the bad news is we have sinned and we can't fix it. The good news is God so loved the world, full of sinners, that he gave his son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. That's the gospel. That's consistent throughout the scripture. And certainly that's at the heart of the narrative of the book of Acts. So we have one gospel preached in the book of Acts, 28 chapters, uh, 29 years. Uh, I said 27, but I was counting from the beginning of Paul's imprisonment at the end of the book. But we're told it was two years long. So let's add two more years. Describes Events that took place over a 29-year period with the 12 apostles, and you can describe it all in one sentence. And there's the sentence. And this is pretty good because you can carry the whole book around in your head if you remember that sentence and a few other things. But you got to start with the sentence. And the sentence we're going to use as our memory aid, which we, you've already seen this, I know that, is Jesus is alive as head of his bride. That it, was Jesus married? No, but the, the church is called the bride of Christ, not literally but that's what we're talking about, right? So that's another way to put it. It's kind of a stair step. Jesus is alive as head of his bride. Okay, Ryan, you ready for a little uh, challenge today? 
we're going to walk through this, and I want you to memorize all 28. No, you don't have to remember all 28. Just remember the first one. You're going to be my J guy. Can you be my J guy? Okay, J stands and Jesus is alive. J stands for chapter 1, which is Jesus ascends to heaven. He dies on the cross. Three days later, what happens? Resurrection. Rises from the dead. Forty days after the resurrection, what happens? He ascends back to heaven. Okay? And the book of Acts starts with the ascension of Christ. So as we go through this later, Ryan, I'm going to ask you, let's just practice. At some A couple of times today I'm going to say, okay, let's walk through this. And what's the first letter? J. And when I say that, that's your cue to stand up. Go ahead. Practice standing up. And say, what? A little louder. Look at the folks here. Turn, turn to the He's a golfer. He's used to concentration. You're used to playing when there's not a big crowd because, in, you know, in high school golf, you don't play in front of big crowds. But uh, can you handle it? Can you handle that? Is that going to be okay? Okay. So that's that. Let's see some uh, content from the book of Acts related to that. Go back to chapter 1. And look at verse 4. Jesus, gathering them together, commanded them not to leave Jerusalem uh, after his ascension, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which you heard of from me. For John, the Baptist, baptized with water, but you're going to be baptized by the Holy Spirit about ten days after the ascension. In fact, exactly ten days after the ascension. Not many days from now. So when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time you're going to set up the millennium? Is it at this time you're going to fulfill all the lion prophecies, now that we've taken care of the lamb prophecies? Is it at this time you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, don't worry about that. That will happen, but not right now. It's not for you to worry about the timing of that. God's got that. Don't, don't worry. He's not going to forget. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to wait. Receive the Holy Spirit. Remember he said that back in verse 4 and 5. But I, I want you to wait. And you're going to receive power. The, the power you need spiritually uh, to do what I want you to do. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And then as an expression of spiritual power. You're going to be my witnesses. You're not going to make disciples in the name of Peter, James and John. You're going to make disciples in my name. You're going to be my witnesses. First in Jerusalem where you are. And then out to the remotest parts of the earth, Judea, Samaria, and even to the remotest parts of the earth. And after he said these things, Jesus was lifted up. He just ascended straight up. Can't reproduce that in the laboratory. While they were looking on in a cloud. I don't think this is a cumulus cloud. I think it's a glory cloud. Uh, Shekinah received him out of their sight. This literally physically happened. They saw it, and then they went out and died for it. And as they were gazing intently in the sky, while he was clothed, behold, two men in white clothing. Now they're not, they're not men. They're not men. The Bible doesn't mean what it says. The Bible means what it means by what it says, the way it says it. When he says two men in white, you're supposed to know that means angel that looked like two, two men. They looked like two men, but they were clearly angels. The angel stood behind, beside the apostles and said, uh, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This same Jesus who's been taken up from you will come in just the same way as you watched him go to heaven. He went back, went back to heaven, going to come down from heaven. When's that going to happen? Second advent. Has that happened yet? Is it going to happen literally? Yeah. 
I mean, an angel thinks so. So that that'd be a good one. Okay, so J stands for what? No, you didn't do it right. Stand up. Face it. Good. Sit down. Chapter 2 is establishment of the New Testament church. And um, just real quick, look at verse 8. Look at verse 8 of chapter 2. Peter, you know, who failed under fire when Jesus was arrested, uh, rises to the occasion multiple times in the book of Acts. You can't judge people by their worst moment. It's just not fair. You don't want anybody else to do that to you, do you? Uh, notice, um, Holy Spirit descends and 120 believers in Jerusalem are speaking in all kinds of different languages, or at least all the different people from different cultures who were there for the Pentecost festival uh, are hearing the believers speak in their own languages. And these people had not learned those various languages. And they're saying out loud, how is it that we each hear them, those believers, those Christians, in our own language to which we were born, Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and districts of Libya around Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them in our own tongues. Glossa there means languages, speaking of the mighty deeds of God. So they're talking about the person of Jesus Christ there who's come to save his people from their sins. Now drop down to uh, chapter 2, verse 42. As you're turning to verse 42, realize that the event that happens in chapter 2 of Acts as part of a complex, a group of events, the death, resurrection, ascension, and the descent of the Holy Spirit is a pivot for God's plan of history. And you're going from the old dispensation to the new dispensation, from a promised Savior to provided Savior, to waiting for a lamb, to waiting for the lion. So this is big. This is really, really big. And in the aftermath of the proclamation of the mighty works of God in multiple languages, Peter preaches a very specific message about faith in Christ. 3,000 people come to faith. And I always love to say it this way, what do the disciples do, the apostles do, with 3,000 brand new believers in the brand very first church of all time? Well, according to Acts 2.42, uh, they were continually devoting themselves to Bible teaching, apostles' doctrine, God speaks to us through his word, to fellowship, which is interaction between believers, it's mutually edifying, we commune with one another to encourage one another and build each other up, to the breaking of bread, Lord's Supper slash worship, we commune with God in worship, and a prayer. We speak to God in prayer. So that's what the apostles made sure happened in the first church. Whether they had coffee pots or Wow Wednesdays, I don't know. But uh, they made sure those four things happened. And as a result, verse 47, when people went out and lived their lives at in Marlowe schools or Duncan schools or Halliburton or wherever you live your Christian life 24-7. These folks are praising God, having favor with other people because they're good, solid citizens. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day because people are living a contagious Christian life. So let's make, uh, yeah, let's make E in Jesus stand for establishment of the New Testament church. 
And uh, Russell, you look like an E guy for me, okay? Can you do that? So when we get to E after Ryan goes each time, I want you to stand up and do your thing. Let's practice. Yeah, perfect. Yeah. Now, Caitlin, you look to me like an S girl. S your favorite uh, letter? Could it be your second favorite letter just today? Yeah. Uh, chapter 3 next talks about an, an event where uh, Peter and John go to the temple and outside of the main uh, gate into the temple with the court of the men, there was a beggar who had been there and a lame guy who had been there for decades and everybody in Jerusalem who frequented the temple, which is basically everybody knew this guy by sight, and they heal him supernaturally. And that would have been a big message to all the, the citizens of Jerusalem. So, uh, Ken, if you don't mind, I want, I mean, Caitlin, you're, you're the, you're the S girl, aren't you? I want you to, uh, say, uh, when we get to this, salvation of a lame beggar. Let's practice. Stand up. Face the crowd. Say, say a little louder. Now I want you to be happier about it than that. I mean, <laughs> come on. This is good, this is good stuff. You don't be so somber, you know? Uh, well, what do you know? Somebody said no good deed goes unpunished. Uh, John and Peter heal the guy, preach the gospel, get arrested, get in trouble. And we see uh, them in the apostolic band becoming wanted men. And uh, I always love this. Look at uh, chapter 4, verses 8 through 13. Uh, Ken, I was going to pick you first, but since Carol's back, Carol, I'm going to ask you to please be our you lady on uh, Jesus and that's going to stand for unleashing persecution against the church. But I'm going to get to that in a second. But look at uh, what actually happens here. Look at chapter 4, verses uh, 8 through 13. And again, Peter, who fed under fire earlier, is stepping up big time when the apostles are thrown in front of the Sanhedrin and basically told to shut up. Uh, Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, chapter 4, verse 8, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, being respectful, as we should be, if we're on trial today for a benefit done to a sick man, <laughs> if that's illegal now uh, as to how this man has become well, uh, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, whom you crucified, you, you forced Pilate to do it, not forced him, but you urged him to do it, whom God raised him from the dead, by this name, this man, the formerly uh, lame guy, stands here before you in good health. And he, not the guy who got healed, but Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, he is the stone which was rejected by you, the builders, just like Psalm 118 said would happen, but which became, in fact, the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that's been given among men whereby we must be saved. Now, I'm not even going to make Carol practice because I've known her for a while and she's a very capable person. She doesn't need a lot of practice. But when we get to going through Jesus is, right after Caitlin says salvation lame beggar, I want you to stand up and say unleashing a persecution against the church. Can you handle that? You keep an eye on her, Ken, okay? Okay. He's a coach. He's a teacher. He makes things happen. Okay. Chapter 5 is Ananias and Sapphira sinning in the church. As I've often said, the only thing worse then persecution against the church is corruption inside the church. 
And we've shot ourselves in the foot a lot over the last 2,000 years. But then again, Christians aren't perfect, even though we are forgiven. And that's important to remember. So that's Jesus. Now let's do is. Jesus is alive. Uh, chapter 6, one of my favorite chapters is impact of... I, I didn't... Did I give anybody S? If I didn't, if I didn't forget... Dad, you look like you're ready for an S. We need to move from the bad side of the room to the good side of the room anyway. So I want you to... And because when I saw sin in the church, I immediately thought of you anyway. So you came to mind. So no, no, that's a joke. You know, uh, I'm going to make you S, sin in the church. Okay? So be ready to go. Chapter 6. Derek, this is going to be you because you're one of our deacons now. Impact of deacons. Go to chapter 6. This is important to see what happens. Uh even when, even when you have the apostles running the church, not all the logistics always happen perfectly, and somebody's going to get their nose out of joint, and that's fine. If you if we step on your toes, tell us, and we'll try not to do it next time. We forgot to do something we promised to do and needs to be done. We'll try to do it, but we're not perfect, and we don't always do everything uh, we could do or should do or whatever. And so look at this. Look at verses 1 through uh, 7. Now, at this time, while the church is really going and growing here in the earliest days, while the disciples were increasing in number, still in Jerusalem, uh, a complaint arose on the part of the Hellenistic Jews, the Jews from the Greek part of the world as opposed to had lived in Israel the whole time, uh, against the native Hebrews because their widows seemingly were being overlooked. They just, uh, in the daily serving of food. I don't think it was intentional, but uh, they weren't getting their their food as quickly as uh, they could have. So the twelve apostles summoned the congregation of the disciples and said, this needs to happen, the church needs to do this, but you know we've got some other things that we got to do, so we can't do it ourselves, we've got to delegate this. It's not desirable for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables, but we do need to serve tables. Therefore, brethren, select from among yourselves <coughs> excuse me, seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit and wisdom, uh, and whom we may put in charge of this task, but we, the apostles, will continue uh, present uh, uh, tense there uh, would would tend to have a durative kind of aspect, but we'll continue to devote ourselves to prayer and ministry of the word. That's kind of my core job as I see it. Uh, statement found approval. You have a list of seven people. Stephen's the first one. Philip's the second one. Notice, uh, and these they brought before the apostles, those seven first deacons. And after praying, they laid their hands on them, and the word of God kept on spreading. So there's a bump in the road, but it didn't hinder the effectiveness of the church. And I think there's a principle there, even in a good church like this one, no one person can do everything for everybody every time. You've got to delegate some stuff out. If the apostles can't do everything for everybody, you're not going to find a youth minister or a pastor who can or an elder or a deacon who can. But we all kind of have a role to play, and we play our positions, and we cover the ground pretty well most of the time. Now, um, Chapter 7, and by the way, you first seven who have been tapped, um, and let's tap somebody for Stephen. Um, Jack Smith, I'm saving one especially for you, so you're not going to get this one. Uh, but Mimi, let's go back to the good side of the room. Isn't that what I said? You guys were the good side of the room? Yeah. I want you to be uh, Stephen, Stephen Stone to death, okay? And I won't have you practice, but when we go through this in a minute, I want you to stand up. Uh, after Derek and say Stephen stoned to death. Yeah, Stephen was one of the uh, deacons, and the story talks about what an incredible human being he was. And, of course, uh, as they say, only the good die young, it seems like. 
And that does happen, and I have no idea. Stephen, humanly speaking, could have done so much for the church, but God gave him so many seconds to live, and when it was done, he gets promoted, and he's so much happier up there than he would be even serving down here, uh, just so we can remember that. But let's uh, look at the tail end of the story, because that's where really some of the real neat stuff is. Uh, look at chapter 7, verse 51. Uh he basically gets uh, arrested and indicted, and uh, not formally, uh, and he just kind of walks him through the Old Testament and shows how the whole thing's all about Jesus. And then when he gets to the end, because he'd obviously written, uh, read to Dale Carnegie how to make friends and influence people, he says, verse 51, that's tongue-in-cheek, uh, you men who are stiff-necked and uncircumcised in your hearts and ears, It's like the worst thing you could say to a Jewish religious guy. Are always resisting the Holy Spirit. You're doing just as our fathers did. He just, from his Old Testament survey, showed how just about all the generations pretty much missed it. A lot of individual exceptions. Which one of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? They killed those who had previously announced the coming of the righteous one, the Messiah, the Christ, the Lord Jesus whose betrayers and murderers you, this generation, have now become. You who received the law as ordained by angels, but you did not keep it. Now when they, the accused, the Jewish leaders, uh, Jewish people hearing this, uh, they reacted by being cut to the quick. They were very angry. How dare you tell us we're not righteous people, good enough to earn our way to heaven. They began gnashing their teeth at him. But being full of the Holy Spirit, Stephen gazed intently into heaven and he saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Why is that interesting? Because Jesus normally sits, not because he's tired, but to show he's done with the work of redemption, but he's given this guy, Stephen, a standing ovation. When the Lord Jesus stands for you, that's amazing, man. You couldn't make it up. And Stephen said, Behold, I see the heavens opened up and the Son of Man... Jesus, the Messiah, standing at the right hand of God. But when they cried out, uh, but but they cried out, that is the onlookers, the people who are angry with them, with a loud voice and covered their ears. How dare you blaspheme, saying you're being able to see God in heaven. And rushed at him with one impulse. When they had driven him out of the city, they're kicking, they're hitting, they're screaming, they're cussing. It's not a pretty sight. There's blood all over the place. They began stoning him, throwing rocks at him to kill him. And the witnesses laid aside their robes at the feet of a young man named Saul. He didn't want to get his hands dirty, but he's very much uh, fully uh, vested in this uh, lynching of Stephen. And that's the guy who we call Paul, who wrote 13 New Testament books later. Uh, they went on st- stoning Stephen as he called on the Lord and said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. You want a last statement to say as you're departing? That's that's mine right there. Just, uh, I think it would be important. Uh, then falling on his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Boy, he sounds like somebody. Pretty important in the Bible there. That's amazing. And having said this, he fell asleep. Bible doesn't mean what it says. It means what it means by what it says. Asleep refers as a euphemism for the death of a believer. The body, as it were, sleeps. The spirit goes to be with the Lord, right? Saul, the guy watching the cloaks, was in hearty agreement with putting him to death. And on that day, a great persecution began against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles who went way underground. 
Some devout men buried Stephen, took a lot of guts to do that, and made loud lamentations over him. But Saul, later known as Paul, began ravaging the church. He's enjoying this, entering house after house and dragging off literally men and women. He put them in the prison, and then they'd probably be summarily executed after that. So Stephen stoned to death. And that's Mimi, right? Okay, let's, uh, let's practice. Let's practice Jesus is. Okay, Ryan, you ready to go? Go. E. S. Good. You. Good. I. And. Right now, Jesus is alive. As Jesus is alive. Okay, Jack, I'm giving you. <laughs> I'm giving you a broad with Philip, with no commentary. Okay, that's it. Yeah, Philip, uh, Stephen was the first guy on the list of deacons. St- uh, Philip, Stephen was, he just got uh, executed. Uh, Philip was the second one in the list. And uh, in chapter 8, we read about him going to Samaria and preaching the gospel and then interacting with an Ethiopian government official and showing how Isaiah 53, the Old Testament prophecy, was talking about Jesus. So, Jack, I want you to have a in the alive portion of this, which is abroad with Philip. Okay, uh, Chapter 9 is Life Comes to Saul slash Paul. Uh, David Stribling, I want you to have that one. Um, it's interesting because we read about his conversion in three different places, three, three extended passages, Tom, in the book of Acts. Chapter 9, the actual event is described. In chapter 22, uh, Paul tells a group in the temple area in Jerusalem about the event in detail. And then chapter 26, uh, Paul tells his testimony, including all of this stuff we read in chapter 9, uh, before King Agrippa in Caesarea. So we're going to see that a couple more times, so I won't go over the story again. But, uh, David, that's going to be you, please. You're going to be L. Life comes to Saul, Paul. Okay, we'll say both names. Now, chapter 10 Let's look at verse 39, is impartation of salvation to Cornelius. Now, why, why is that important? Well, Cornelius is a Gentile. He's a Roman soldier, and the average Jew didn't really have very, very much fond feeling for Roman soldiers because they were occupying their homeland, right? Uh, and there was a, a, an idea in the early church that because Jesus was a Jewish Messiah and had fulfilled the Jewish scriptures about the Messiah, that Jews could believe in him and be saved, but Gentiles probably needed to become Jews first. And then they could believe in the Messiah, the Jewish Messiah, and be saved. And that's not true. Whosoever believeth in him, Jew or Gentile, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, it's power of God and salvation. Everyone who believes to the Jew first, but also to the Greek, to the Gentile. So this is the first concerted time. I know about Philip. I've read Philip in chapter 8. But this is the first concerted time where God is directly leading an apostle to take the gospel directly to Gentiles in the whole church age. I'm not saying these are the first Gentiles to hear and believe, but this is big. And at the heart of his message to them, look at chapter 10, verse 39. Paul, uh, Peter here, not Paul, says, 
to Cornelius the Gentile and his household and his some of his staff, and he was a guy with people working under him in the military. Peter says, we are witnesses of all the things Jesus did, both in the land of the Jews generally and Jerusalem specifically. Uh, but they put him to death by hanging him on a cross, and yet God raised him up on the third day and granted that he become visible as a resurrected person for 40 days, not to everybody, but to witnesses who were chosen beforehand by God, that is to us, and we ate with him and drank with him after he rose from the dead. We have no doubt it was absolutely happened. We have no idea how you do something like that, but that's what happened. He's resurrected from the dead. Uh, and he ordered us to preach to the people and solemnly testify that he's the one who's been appointed by God as the judge of the living and the dead. He's the issue and issuer of eternal life. And here's the punchline. I love this. Of him, of Jesus Christ, all the prophets in the Old Testament bear witness that through his name, who he is and what he did, Everyone who believes in him, active, receptive trust in him, receives what? Forgiveness of sins. And if the bad news is we've all sinned and that deserves punishment, when you can get forgiveness of sins, that's a solution. That is the solution and it comes through Jesus Christ. Uh, did, did, I, did I sign I to anybody yet? I don't think I did. Uh... I didn't assign it to you, did I, Trevor? You're coming. You're coming. You're going to get it. But James, if you will, I'm going to give you uh, importation of salvation, Cornelius, okay? That's a good one. Now, watch watch this. Uh, you'd think everybody would be happy in Jerusalem that uh, Peter was able to share the gospel and, and the whole family trusted Christ and got saved. But no, they're still thinking, well, why would you tell them just to believe and be saved? You should have told them they've got to become a Jew first, and then they could believe and be saved. So chapter 11 is is Peter processing that with some folks who just don't understand the way it works. Uh, and drop down to verse 17 and 18. Uh, Peter kind of explains what happened to these people who just can't quite get it. And so he says, bottom line, Therefore, if God gave to them, Cornelius and his household, the same gift he gave to us after believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was out of stand in their way, and when they the pickier-than-God, well-meaning Jewish believers from Jerusalem, when they heard this, they quieted down. They were teachable, which is great. And glorified God, saying, Well then, God has granted to the Gentiles the repentance that leads to life. Believing, verse 17, repentance, chapter 18, they're not two different things, they're the same thing. Changing your mind about your sin, yourself, and your Savior when you actively, receptively trust in Jesus Christ. So, impartation of salvation, that's James Chapter 11 is verification of salvation. Sue Smith, you don't have to stand up because you've got uh, medical rehab going on, but I want you, and this will be hard for you, I want you to speak out loud and clearly. <laughs> I want you to say verification of Gentile salvation. Okay, got it? Chapter 12 has always been a very poignant chapter for me. Uh, first two verses, we find out that James, the apostle, the brother of John, Peter, James, and John, that James, was executed by the bad guys in Jerusalem uh, because that made points with the powers that be or that powers that bead, I guess you'd say, past tense, bead. Uh, they, they arrest Peter, verse 3, to do the same thing. And yet after an all-night prayer meeting, Peter is supernaturally released from prison, doesn't get executed. And if we had more time, we'd read the funny things that happened in the aftermath of that because nobody can believe it, including the people at the prayer meeting. But it happened. But I always thought, I wonder what James's mother thought 
when she found out my boy got arrested. Next day he gets killed. Peter gets arrested. They had a prayer meeting. Hey, I'm sure they had a prayer meeting for James. Uh, Peter gets arrested, and the next day uh, God does a miracle, and he's free as a bird. Well, he also gets crucified upside down about 20 years later. So, you know, uh, it's not like he's given an exemption. But, yeah, my answer to that is God had different purposes for James than he had for Peter. And you know what, Tom, you're special and you're important, but don't let it go to your head because everybody else is too. And God's got a special, unique plan. He's going to give you everything you need, including how much time you need to be and do everything he wants you to do. But it may be 119 for Max, and it might be 63 and a half for me. We don't know. So don't presume anything, but beware of the... The, the folly of comparing your situation to somebody else. You don't have enough information to do that. Trust me, the person you think is doing well. My wife tells a story about somebody she kind of envied for a long time, not at TBF, but uh, in the larger collection of her friends and acquaintances and family. And then when she found out some things that were actually going on in that person's life, she said, I'm so glad I was didn't, didn't have and it wasn't that this person uh, had the progress she had because she had a lot more problems that I realized at the time. So you just don't have enough information to do that. But boy, it's tempting. You know, when I see People Magazine, Joel Olstein is America's favorite preacher. I don't get it. I don't get it. Not that I'm anywhere near there, but uh, I'm not, I should, if I could make the top 1,000, you know, I'd be great. Okay. Uh, yeah, do I give anybody execution of James? Trevor, you're gonna be the you're gonna be the guy, okay? Your execution of James, you're gonna come right after Sue Smith says verification of Gentile salvation. Okay. I think that's it. Yeah. Let's let's do a practice. Let's let's go over this thing. Okay, you ready, Ryan? You guys negotiate? You're not trading, are you? You can't trade. Okay, Ryan. Little no do it again. Do it again. This is like a three foot putt. You line it up. And then you have to hit it firm with conviction. You can't just baby him in. Okay? Let's go, man. That's so much better. That's so much better. Yeah. And God just had a different purpose for James than he has for Peter. And he has it. You know, if he makes all the snowflakes, snowflakes unique, he's going to make you unique. Okay. Uh, I don't like this, but because of time factors, I'm going to just boast of the rest of it. So the rest of you guys can... Uh, breathe a sigh of relief. You're not going to have to stand up and say a letter. Uh, Jesus is alive as chapter six, uh, chapter 13 is first missionary journey. I found this map, which I like because it's nice and clear, but it only talks about the first half of it. Who goes? Paul and Barnabas and John Mark leave Antioch, go to the coast, sail, sail to Cyprus. They preach the gospel to Cyprus. They go up to Perga of Pamphylia. Let's put a new too. Yeah. And what happens in Perga? John Mark chickens out and goes back home to mom in Jerusalem. But Paul and Barnabas go to the Galatian churches, Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, and Derby, just to see the kind of preaching they did. Look at chapter 13, verse 38. This is Paul now, not Peter. Sounds like Peter. One gospel at the Antioch uh, of Pisidia synagogue in 1338. Paul says, therefore, let it be known to you, brethren, that through him, through the person and work of Jesus Christ, forgiveness of sins is being offered to you. And through him, everyone who believes 
is freed from all the things which you could not be freed of through any standard of works, including the works of the Old Testament law, the law of Moses. Uh, this is a map that actually shows the entirety of the trip, because after they go through the Galatian regions, they go back to the coast and sail to Antioch Bible Fellowship. And that's chapter 14, ends the first missionary journey, and that would be synagogue strike back. Not the empire strikes back, but synagogue strike back. In chapter 15, we have heresy uh, as head. H stands for uh, head of the church, uh, his bride. Heresy corrected, the Jerusalem Council. You had this big meeting where after the first missionary journey where you have this concerted 18-month trip to Gentile territory, the church in Jerusalem says, let's sit down and talk this thing over because a lot of us are still thinking these guys have got to become Jews first or it doesn't work. And so you get Paul and Barnabas and Peter and James the elder, not James the apostle, who all clearly say, you know what? It's all about grace, unmerited favor. It's all about Jesus. He does the work. Anyone who believes is given eternal life. You always have this this opposition between are we going to be saved by our good works or God's grace? And I just turn that arrow up because grace takes us up. Good works will make you look more impressive than other people, but you can't get from Oklahoma to heaven based on your good works, right? So that would be uh, Antioch sends out missionaries and synagogue strike back. That's the first missionary journey. And then chapter 15 is heresy corrected. Chapter um, 16 begins the second missionary journey. And the second missionary journey looks like this. We start in Antioch. I had a problem with this doggone thing on Wednesday. I thought we had a bad battery. Replace the battery. But on Sundays, it just, it does, it chokes on Sundays and Wednesdays, but it uh, works good all, all that time. So, uh, Peter, Paul and Barnabas separate, uh, over whether or not John Mark's ready to go. So Paul and Silas, and they pick up Timothy and Lystra, they go back to the Galatian churches. Paul's called, gets the Macedonian call to go to Europe, Macedonia, and he plants churches in Philippi and Thessalonica and Corinth. And so we're getting this uh, expansion of the church into Europe for the first time. We see Europe evangelized in apathy in Athens. And then we see uh, disciples in Corinth of all places. And that really blows your mind uh, that one of the most wicked places in history actually had a thriving church. They had issues. They had to deal with a lot of problems. But there were real believers in Corinth. Okay, uh, And that's a shot of Corinth. There, this is the Temple of Apollo right there, the which left of it. And that's the Acro-Corinthus where you had a thousand pagan priestesses doing their thing. We'd call it a massage parlor today, but they called it a, a, a temple. Uh, yeah. Uh, third missionary journey starts in uh, chapter 19. And, yeah, same thing, only different. They start from Antioch. Revisit the Galatian churches, go to Ephesus, and Paul stays three years in Ephesus during the third missionary journey. Then he revisits the churches in Greece, comes back around, misses Ephesus on purpose because it would take too long if he visited there, had the elders come down, and that's where we started today, where we come, boom, go down here. So that's where we're, we're that's what we're doing there. Chapter 19 starts that process, and that's offense of the gospel and uh, in the uh, Ephesus, we have the riot there, uh, which empties into this large theater, which has been ar- 
archaeologically uncovered that seat 25,000 people. Uh, chapter 20 was farewell to the Ephesian elders. And then today, we came to chapter 21. Now, on that list, Jesus is alive as head of his bride. Uh, 21 uh, lines up with he, uh, his bride, his, the word his, and that H stands for Hebrews riot. But you might say, well, you just read first part of chapter 21. There wasn't a riot. It's about the guys getting in a boat, sailing different locations. Well, we're going to get to the riot, okay? We will get there. It's in the latter part of the book, latter part of the chapter. But just to kind of give you a cliffhanger before we conclude, go to chapter 21, verse 30. Chapter 21, verse 30. And look what happens. Here we are in uh, Jerusalem. Then all the city was provoked and people rushed together and took hold of Paul. They dragged him out of the temple. Sounds like what they did to Stephen. And immediately the doors were shut while they were seeking to kill him. The mob was trying to kill him. They're kicking, beating, throwing stuff at him. Uh, a report came up to the commander of the Roman cohort that's occupying the region and wants to promote peace and tranquility and no riots, um, that all Jerusalem was in confusion. And at once, he, the Roman commander, we have Gentile military people saving the day here, the Lone Ranger coming in, um, and he took along some soldiers and centurions, and they ran down to them where the riots going on, and they're beating up trying to kill Paul. And when they saw the commander and the soldiers, they, the mob, stopped beating Paul. Then the commander came up and took hold of him, Paul, ordered him to be bound with two chains. We're going to process this and find out what he did to get everybody so mad, and began asking who he was and what he had done. But among the crowd there in Jerusalem, outside the temple, some were shouting one thing and some another, and when he, the centurion, could not find out the facts beyond because of the uproar, he ordered him, Paul, to be brought into the barracks. So he had some peace and quiet and figure it all out. When he got to the stairs up toward the barracks at the Antonia Fortress, which abuts the temple complex, he was carried by the soldiers because of the violence of the mob. For the multitude of the people kept following him, shouting away with him, meaning like off with his head kind of thing. Uh, as Paul was about to be brought to the barracks, he said to the commander, they're going to shut the door and get away from the crowd, he says, may I say something to you? And the commander says, you know Greek? You're not just a seat picker from Galilee? I can't believe it. Uh, then you're not that Egyptian guy who some time ago stirred up a revolt and led the 4,000 men of the assassins out to the wilderness. He thought Paul was this terrorist guy. And Paul said, no, I'm a Jew of Tarsus and Cilicia, a citizen of no insignificant city. He doesn't mention it here, but he's a Roman citizen, which is a huge deal. And I beg you, allow me to speak to the people. What anybody else would see as a killer mob, he sees as a congregation. He wanted, he wants to talk to them, you know, with the Roman bodyguard around. And when he had, uh, when he, the centurion, had given Paul permission, Paul standing on the stairs motioned to the people with his hand, and when there was a great hush, he spoke to them in the Hebrew dialect saying, that's the cliffhanger. Come back in the next week or two. We'll tell you what he said. Right? Okay, let me close this way. And guess what? You're not going to have to review the, the deal one more time. So you're worried about that. You're, you're in the clear. We're fine. Uh, the book of Acts describes the first generation of a 2,000 year chain of Christian faith. And now is our turn. Now it's your turn, Summer, to live this thing out. Like the guys and the gals did in the book of Acts. Now it's your turn, Trevor and Ryan, 
to get on the peace train through faith in Christ and then stand for the Lord Jesus Christ. How are you going to do that? How are you going to stop reading about church history and start making some? How are you going to do that? Well, I think you need to be walking with the Lord, not just at church, but as a lifestyle, right? Uh, you might want to sign up for a mission trip to Haiti. might want to sign up for a trip to Puebla. That's not the only way to, to do this, but it would be one way, right? Uh might be more difficult for some of us to sign up for nursery rotation or Sunday school rotation than to go to Haiti or, or Puebla, because those are kind of exciting, special things. But all that stuff needs to happen. And more importantly, I would just say, love the Lord and love other people in concentric circles. It's easy to love people who are starving in China as long as all you got to do is write a check every so often when you feel bad about them. But it's harder to love your wife and your kids and your parents and your friends and your teachers because they're not perfect and they'll forget stuff and they'll say stuff sometimes you don't like and they disagree with you some things. But I think loving the Lord and loving other people is basically the way Jesus reduced down the essence of the faith, right? When asked, what does it mean? So I say, let's do that and realize that we're kind of manufacturing by God's grace our generational picture of what the Holy Spirit continues to do for the body of Christ. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, thank you for this incredible document that is the book of Acts, and maybe we're so familiar with it, we almost take it for granted. Help us to be excited, uh, not just about what happened, but what can happen in us as we embrace a, a discipleship in its fullest sense. Pray for anyone here this morning who's not trusted Jesus Christ alone for salvation. Open their eyes and heart to do that. For those of us who are believers, as much as we love this early church history, motivate us to start making some of our own by your power to your glory. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.